everybody. Now, I always pray before I start speaking, not in English, but Aramaic. It was good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. So, Shimid Baba, Prona, Brocha, Kosha, Ha'alacha, Alachuma'ana. Amen. The blessing of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, for the Lord is here and his Spirit is with us. Amen. God's going to do great things. For me, this is so important. How many of you be, have been in this church a long time? Over 30 years? So, as a child, well, I'll let you know a secret. I might be an Anglican cleric and a canon and a Coventry canon and the vicar of Baghdad, but I'm really a Pentecostal. <laughs> Look, I'm not just a Pentecostal. I'm AOG. <laughs> I remember being whisked off as a child, not just to mine head, but I went to Bogner. <laughs> Who went to Bogner? Bogner, Minehead, Kenley. See, you know, you young guys like you, Pastor, you don't understand these things. I used to work with the Youngs. Who remembers the Young Brothers? Howard Young, Clive Young, Norman Young. Now, where, where are my books and my Bible? I'm sorry about this, but I just need to talk a little bit about my background. Do you mind? I do believe in the Bible, so I'll talk about that. But, my grandfather was one of the early Bible college people, long before Mattersy. I think it was Louth. Only you older people will know about that. Do anybody remember that? No? Oh, never mind. Hampstead? Do you remember that? No, you're all new. <laughs> but my grandfather, his teacher, was a very famous guy, and this is his Bible. And his name was Smith Wigglesworth. And this is Smith Wigglesworth's actual Bible. It is the most used Bible I've ever met. It has been underlined on every single page. And you can have a look at it if you buy one of my books afterwards. 
that is the deal. So, don't be careful of that. Don't let anybody collect it. So, it was it was a great honour to be reared by a grandfather who was true AOG, and I used to go to the OG conferences every year. Who went to the OG conferences? Minehead? Bogner? No, you have to be old to have been to Bogner. But I used to go every year. And the highlight of the year for me as a child was to go to Minehead. And we used to have a great time praising God. Now, I started off as an East End of London AUG in Plashick Grove Assembly, where the young brothers were and all those. But I ended up being a member of Bexley Heath. Anybody know Bexley Heath, AOG? Yeah, it was quite good. Not like this, but quite a good little church. Now, when I was little, the, I always wanted to do medical studies. And I had a vision in life. I wanted to become a gas man. <laughs> Not with pipes, but with drugs. You know, anesthetics. And my parents used to say to me, Andrew, you're very nice but you're not really bright enough. I said, all right then. So my vision was to go and train at St. Thomas's Hospital. So I worked hard, I did my exams, and I got in. So I went off to Thomas's, and I trained to be a gas man. And I ended up running the cardiac arrest team. Now, the thing about cardiac arrests, you couldn't plan them very well. <laughs> you didn't have one on the hour every hour. So they happened when they happened. And I was there one day, and I was so thankful to God that I was not only doing the job I've always wanted to do, I was at the hospital where I always wanted to be, with the exception of going off to do my residence in Derby. And God forgave me because I went to Derby and I joined Elim. <laughs> now, that for those of us in those days, it was quite a big thing to switch from AOG to Elim, wasn't it? But there I was in the garden one day, in between cardiac arrests, and I said to God, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for enabling me to come to Thomas's and do my medicine. 
And then I remembered I needed to ask God, what next, Lord? So I said, what next, Lord? And I presumed, knowing that God is quite intelligent, I presumed he'd say, stay here forever. He didn't. He said, I want you to go into the church and the Church of England. I said, Lord, they're not even all saved. <laughs> Do you know what God said? He said, I know, that's why I'm sending you. <laughs> so, I fought it for a while, for under half an hour. It's no good trying to fight God when he wants you to do something. He will always win. So I'm just telling you this as an introduction. So I went, um, I went off to Vicar Factory. And it was in Cambridge. There's a little university there. So I did Christian theology, and it was the most boring subject I've ever done. <laughs> so I gave up on Christianity. So I switched to Judaism. So I did my doctorates in the role of Israel in Christian theology, and the other one was in Yiddish. I won't even tell you what that was about because none of you understand Yiddish. But it was about Hasidic Judaism. But the thing that God taught me then was how central Israel was to his plan and his commandments. And so I went to Israel and I studied in the yeshiva which is a place where good Orthodox Jews who are clever go to train to be rabbis. And I was the first guy, the first non-Jew, to go to yeshiva. So I studied there. I did my doctorate on the role of Israel and Christian theology and then the role of the Baal Shem Tov in the Haskalah. As Yiddish, don't worry about him. And I loved being in Israel. Then the day came when I had to be ordained, so I went down to Clapham in London. And I was ordained at Southwark Cathedral. And I turned my collar around and I became a vicar. I wasn't a boring one, I promise. I'm not very good at being a boring one. So it was really good. And then one day, my bishop, who was an Ulsterman, Roy Williamson, he phoned me and said, Andrew, he said, I'm sending you to Coventry. I said, Bishop, what have I done wrong? 
He said, nothing. But you've been very involved in Israel and northern Africa, in Nigeria, and I think you can head up the Anglican Church's work of reconciliation. So he sent me to Coventry Cathedral. Anybody from Coventry here? Good. <laughs> I can tell you that Coventry is a pit. <laughs> Apart from the cathedral, it is terrible. So I went to Coventry, but it's the only residential cannery in the country where the canon isn't employed to be there. So I went back to Israel. <laughs> and then I really felt God was calling me to go to Baghdad. I said, Lord, I don't want to cross the Jordan because it's very strange over the other side of the River Jordan. So, I prayed for a way to get into Baghdad. I went to the Iraqi intersection at the Jordanian embassy. In those days, the only link that Britain had with Iraq was to bomb them. So, they said, we don't want you. The very last thing I did was I got my team together and we prayed about it. Isn't it interesting that even as Christians, sometimes it's the last thing we do to come to God. So I said, Lord, I've got no other way of getting into Iraq. I've failed. Will you get me there? The next day I got a fax. Do you remember those old-fashioned things called faxes before emails? And the fax was from Tarek Aziz, who was Saddam's deputy. It said, will you come to my office next week at 5 o'clock on Thursday? So I went, and that was the beginning of my work in Iraq. And my work completely transformed what we were doing. During those days when everybody was desperate about trying to control Saddam's weapons and his weapons of mass destruction, it was very difficult because I had working for me a guy called George Sada. He was my chief of staff in Baghdad. And he used to be the pilot for Saddam Hussein, the air vice marshal. But Saddam wasn't allowed to fly anymore. So we then had all these UN weapons inspectors come in to look for the weapons of mass destruction. And they couldn't find them. The reason they couldn't find them was because they gave them a hundred days notice that they were coming. So they'd moved them all to Syria. And I told the White House this. It was in the days of George W. Walsh. 
And I told him everything. I used to work quite closely with the White House and with John Major and all these people. And um, they didn't listen. So now they're surprised that Assad has the weapons which were once Iraq's. We could have told them that years ago. I told them they had moved. And Assad and I, we kind of had a little history together. Because I was his gas man. He used to remove cataracts at the West Nile Hospital, and I put his patients to sleep. Now, he was no good at doing that either. He's no good as a surgeon, no good as a president, but if you remove him, it will be really bad. It's better the devil with you know than the devil you don't know. I was in favor of the war against Saddam in two or three. And I was totally and utterly wrong. Iraq was far worse after it than before. I grew not only to be in love with Israel as I always have been, but to be in love with Iraq. And I looked after the Jewish community. By the time I left, we only had eight Jews left in Iraq. And Iraq used to have the biggest Jewish community in the whole of the Middle East. There were over 150,000 Jews. So in the Jewish community today, you would always find people of Iraqi Jewish heritage. And I used to be like their rabbi. They had never had a rabbi. The last ones were killed. And so we used to do Seder, Passover, Shavuot, all the feasts, we used to do them in the church. And I opened our church, which was closed, and it grew to six and a half thousand people. And it was an incredible place of the glory of the presence of God. Now, in recent years, I loved being in Iraq. I strangely loved Iraq as much as Israel. And so much of the scripture comes from Iraq. Don't forget that the big boss who started all is, of course, God. But there was a guy who hanged out in Ur. What was his name? So, Ur 
was the home of Abraham. So Ur was in Iraq. Who said Ur first? Come on, somebody own up, you get a present. No? <laughs> Come on then. Ask and you receive. You can get. Yeah, don't look. There are. Go, uh. Ah, who can tell me what Iraq was called in the Bible? Babylon. No. <laughs> who said Mesopotamia? Come up. you get the next prize. <laughs> now, you can either have a cross made by my carpenter in Bethlehem called Joseph, or you can have a pen. Yes, because I have oh, 50 of them, yeah. <laughs> there we are. So, in the Bible, Mesopotamia is Iraq. And that is mentioned in, in Genesis chapter 2. The Garden of Eden was in a place between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Who knew that Eden was in a rock? Good, isn't it? And I'm sure that is why God has really blessed us so much. That we are the place where God started it all from. The next thing about Mesopotamia, where you hear a lot about it, is in Pentecost, isn't it? One of the places of Pentecost was Mesopotamia. The people from Mesopotamia were there with the Cappadocians and the Greeks and the Israelis and all of them. But they were there. Greeks and Sumerians. And it's such a joy that, you know that cross, the Bethlehem cross? Well, Joseph the carpenter, who makes the cross, he is a member of the Syrian Orthodox Church of St. Mark in the old city in Jerusalem. And that church is the very upper room where the Holy Spirit came, where the foot washing happened, where 
the inspiration of God came. Now, it's very interesting that that little place is so full of the presence of God. Who's been to Israel? Now, anybody who's been on pilgrimage there, you would have been taken to an upper room which you walked up to. It's not the real one, it's German. To get to the real upper room, you walk down. It's that little room in St. Mark's Monastery. That is the real place. And I'd love to take you there. We are doing a, um, a specialist study tour to Israel and Palestine. My favorite places are Hebron, very much part of Abraham's life, and Jericho. Now, there are two different sycamore trees in Jericho both where Zacchaeus climbed. One is the Orthodox tree, and one is the Latin tree. Everywhere has a Greek Orthodox and a Roman Catholic, so you can take your pick. But the real key thing is that Jericho has the best dates in the world, and it also has my baptistry. If you got a baptistry under here, portable one. Well, I I I use a little river called Jordan, <laughs> and we've got a real problem. It hasn't got enough water in it, but I can still baptize in it. But it's a bit difficult because I've got MS, so I can't really walk much anymore. Um. But I've got good guys who work with me, so they can give a good dunking. I anoint them, and then they go and dunk. So it's really good. You know, we are supernatural children of God. And we, in our denomination, it's not their denomination, it's ours because I'm one of you, all right? You can't really change somebody when they're real Pentecostal. Whether you're Elim or AOG, you're the real thing, all right? You never expect to have an Anglican cleric come and tell you that you're the real ones, did you? But you are. You know, I have to, it's a bit difficult having to confess to people. People want to know, when were you saved? And I have to be honest, I don't remember being saved. The first thing I remember was being told by my father that Jesus loved me. And he told me that Jesus loved me so much, and that I must talk to him every day. And I always have done. Who else is like that? 
Yeah. Some of us have always loved him. We love him more. We come closer to him. I might not remember the day when I was converted because it happened from... But the day I was filled with the Holy Spirit is a day that is really key to me. And the really, I used to go to these waiting meetings. Do you remember the waiting meetings? They were really, really boring. And you were waiting to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing ever happened to me. And then I was in an Anglican church and I got zapped there by the Holy Spirit in an Anglican church. And our vicar was a man called Nicholas Rivet Carnock. Any heard of him? Yeah. So I was one of those people. And we had somebody called Ruth Darnell. But the woman who really influenced me was a woman I don't know if you've ever heard of called Ruth Heflin. Who's heard of her? She was one of the mighty glory people in Jerusalem. And in my medical days, she prophesied over me and anointed me. And she said, you are called to serve your life in the Middle East. So I presumed that would be Jerusalem, but I was wrong. And so there in Iraq, we served God. There in Iraq, we underwent such terrible persecution. I had six and a half thousand people in my church. And so many of my people were killed. Of my actual congregation, I had well over 1,000 of my people killed. And I can remember one day when Jamal, one of my members, called me on the phone and he said, Abuna, Abuna, they called me Abuna, which was in Aramaic, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, ISIS came today. And they said, I had to say that I would convert to Islam or they would kill all my children. And I said it, oh God, forgive me. He said, I love Yeshua so much. I talked to him all the time. But I couldn't bear to see my children killed. I said I would. I said, Jamal, listen, to be honest, if I was in your place, I may have done the same thing.
the next day the message wasn't so good. ISIS turned up again. But this time, they turned up to Yosef's children. To Yosef and his children, and they said to the children, we are calling you to follow Islam. If you do it, you will be set free, spared, and liberated. If you don't, you're dead. They were my children. I mean, from my community. And the children said, no, we won't follow Islam. We love Yeshua. We love Jesus. And to make things worse, they being totally Aramaic, the children for them, they started to sing in English. And they were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes. As they finish singing, Jesus loves me. Isis shot each of them through the head and chopped their heads off. That was in many ways just a symbol of what we were going through. It was so terrible. And that night in my room in Baghdad, I cried and I cried and I cried. And I said, Jesus, they were my children. How could this happen? And the next morning, some of the other children in our community, they came to me and they said, Daddy, when we were asleep last night, we saw a picture and it was a picture of all our children who ISIS got. And they were dancing with Jesus. They were dancing round and round with Jesus. And then, to me, what became clear 
was however awful the situation, the fact was that Jesus was there. You could not keep Jesus quiet. And he always succeeds. And I'm not really doing much preaching, am I? I'm telling you a story, but it's not a very good one. But the wonderful thing is that in Romans 8, verse 18, we read, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be coming. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will have revealed to us. which will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. He waits with eager expectation the glory of God to be revealed so that we know that despite our suffering, our suffering is so real, the glory of God is so real. The majesty of God is so real. And I thank God. How long have I got? When shall I shut up? Five minutes more. It's not long. I haven't even started yet. I will shut up. No, the pastor's told me to. One of the things I learned as a ch young child in my AOG days was you listen to the pastor. Isn't that right, pastor? In John 7, we read... In verse 38, whoever believes in the scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so we know that the rivers of living water will sustain us and will anoint us and will give us his glory. We know that whatever happens, God is with us. We sang a lot of songs in Aramaic, but we knew only three songs in English. And 
they were all our old songs. In my heart, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my heart, Lord, be glorified today. And? Yeah, but I want to sing joy, joy, joy down there. Who's going to sing joy, joy, joy for me? Joy, joy. Where? Down in my heart today. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And the other th song we could sing was Soon and Very Soon. How's it go? Soon and very soon. We always can't sing. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. Thank you. I want to pray for you if you want me to anoint you and I believe that God does want to touch people here and I believe that God in particular wants to touch four people who are here this morning with fibromyalgia. Are there four people with fibromyalgia? So I will anoint you and he wants to meet other people with IBS. And he wants to bring some healing. But God is really speaking to those who are not sure where they're going. God is saying, I have called you out of darkness into glorious light. And you are where you should be at the moment but not next year anybody speak Arabic here Hebrew Bismillah Yes, sure. Amen. Bye.